0: I shared with you some keys and was basically things we need to understand about false ministries. If you missed that first one that I did a couple of weeks ago, you can please catch up so that you have context because I don't want to rehash. I want to be sensitive to time. Um, We started talking about 22 things every believer should know about false ministries. And the first one I mentioned was that false ministry is not limited to one type of ministry gift. The second one was that false ministries will be judged by God. The third was that all ministries are to be tested. The fourth was that all ministers should go through the character test. And I'm now starting with number five. Is everyone ready for number five? Are you expectant this morning? The Bible says anything that is not from faith is sin. So when we listen to the word, we must listen in faith. Can I hear an amen? All right, number five, all ministers will go through the servant test. All ministers will go through the servant test. This is very important. It's crucial. I want to make special welcome to our Joburg Church who are watching on the live feed. You guys are so special. We don't just go ahead with our services without thinking about you. Amen. Very precious church there. Very precious church. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 to 27, this is Jesus speaking and he says, says, but Jesus called them aside and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their superiors exercise authority over them. In other words, he's saying, you know that there's a worldly way of leading and there's a kingdom way of leading. And this is one of the areas where Jesus emphasizes that there's a difference between doing it kingdom way and doing it the world's way. In verse 26, he says, it shall not be this way among you. You know what my concern is? In many churches today, it is like this. And yet Jesus says, it shall not be like this amongst you. One of the key areas where Christians must be different is in our leadership style. We are servants first. We are servants who lead. If you study the concept of servant leadership, a servant leader is a servant first and he happens to lead. With many people, even when they teach on servant leadership, their mindset is I'm a leader first and I happen to serve people from time to time. There's a difference. You're a servant. You've taken on the servant nature. If you study scripture, Philippians 2 verse 7, it talks about Jesus and it says, He did not see equality with God as something to be grasped. He is equal to God, right? But it says, He did not see equality with God as something to be grasped. But He took on the nature of a servant by choice. He took on the nature of a servant, and the Bible goes on to say, and emptied himself. It's called the kenosis of Christ. It's it's the divine self-emptying of the Son of God. Very powerful concept. It's meekness. It's strength under control. It's where you could stand on that right that you have, that power that you have. But you choose to empty yourself. And says that he took on the guise of a servant. He emptied himself. And then he died. He didn't just die, but he died death on a cross. That's multiple levels of lower, lowering himself. Amen? And then he says, because of that, God raised him and gave him the name that is above every other name. Isn't that powerful? And we need to teach servant leadership more and more in the body of Christ. Because I see a lot of people not emptying themselves. I see a lot of people wanting to assert their rights. And that's what humanism teaches, doesn't it? Right? But Jesus says, It shall not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Jesus is not saying don't desire to be great. He's basically saying if you want to be great, here's the key. Amen? Amen. Must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Imagine if the body of Christ was characterized by this. Imagine if everything we do as leaders is characterized by this. And we must never say as believers, oh, now I'm in the corporate world, so my leadership style changes. We're still servants even in the marketplace. Amen? And people are drawn to that. People are drawn to that. So the test leaders, church leaders... Prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers will go through very often is a test of obscurity. When you are bypassed, how do you react? Are you like, they're not noticing me. Do they know who I am? Let me tell you something. We go through this because not everyone knows your name. Not everyone knows who you are, ladies and gentlemen. I know sometimes we think we're famous. But there are places, I'm telling you, there are places where people don't know who Michael Jackson is. There are places in the world where people don't know who Michael Jackson is. So if they don't know who Michael Jackson is, there are places in the world where they don't know that you're a CEO, where they don't know how anointed in prayer you are. You might know it and you might believe your own press, but there are places in the world where people don't know. Amen? There are places in the world where people don't know who Whitney Houston was. I was chatting to my kids in the car just now as we were driving here. And one of my boys, you might be able to guess which one it is, says, like, I know it, all the songs from the 80s, Dad, are Dodge. All the songs are Dodge from the 80s. And I said, are you saying that Whitney Houston was Dodge? And they're like, who's, who's Whitney Houston? <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, like, was she, is she white or black? And I said, she was black. I, and I, say, I said to them, that's like asking, was Pele white or black? Okay. They said, but Whitney Houston, that sounds like a white name, Dad, okay? Anyway, we had a whole conversation about that. How come everything from the 80s is Dodge, Dad? And then one of them says, are you saying Uncle Will is Dodge? Because my young brother Uncle Will is born in the 80s. Anyway, there are places where you're not known. I've got places where recently I was in Nigeria. A company asked me to do something there, you know, They flew me business class. I was, uh, whatever vehicle I was using, there was a security car behind me, you know, going behind me and so on. It was a nice novelty for me and so on. And I can go to certain circles, but where I'm not known. I can go to other places where I'm very honored. I can go to other places where I'm not known and where people start preaching to me. You know those things where you have this youngster starting to come and start sharing revelation with you and so on. And the pride in you is kind of thinking like, my brother, I've been preaching for quite some time, hey, but you know what? That's the pride in us. But the test of obscurity is God will allow you to go to places where you're not known by people and where you're not honored by people, and he'll test you. How are you are going to react in that situation? Amen? How are you going to react? You'll go to some places where you're very honored. You'll go to other places where they don't know you. Are you still the same person? Or are you going to be like, but you guys know who I am. Do you know how those guys see me? That's the servant test. That's the servant test. And when we react because of how people treat us, it's just exposing our flesh. When you're a true servant, nothing is beneath you. You can do the menial tasks. There's nothing that's beneath you. You don't arrive at this stage where you say, "Ah, I'm the chief apostle. Pick up those, the pick up, pick up that litter over there. You pick it up if it needs to be picked up. Amen. These are tests. Jesus washed their feet. What I love about Jesus is he doesn't leave the whole servanthood thing as theory. He doesn't say you must be their slave, you must be their servant, and leave it there. He actually demonstrates it. And he washes the disciples' feet. Now, you know those days they used to walk a lot? Unlike nowadays, right? They used to walk a lot and they would walk around with sandals. They'll be in sandals. So the feet were dirty and dusty. And Jesus was there washing washing them, washing them. That was the role of slaves. That was the role of servants. Washing people's feet before they entered a house. And I just find it amazing that Jesus demonstrated that. He was making a point. Nothing must be beneath you. So here's my question to you. Is there anything that God sometimes calls you to do, but you feel embarrassed doing it? And let's challenge things culturally. Can I go there? Is there anything as a man in the house where you kind of feel like, oh, I, I you know me, honey. I don't touch dishes. Why not? You've got hands. She's cooked. If there's no one to wash the dishes, why can't you wash them? Amen? Amen. Who nappies. There's some of you who are about to have babies. Lanston. Throughout this message, Lanston and I are going to be locked like this until he gets tired because my messages are long and Tabs takes over. (laughs) They're telling me, Pastor Paul, when when Pastor Trace is preaching, one of us can just do the whole video thing, you know. But when you're preaching, yeah, we sort of do shifts. (laughs) Okay, a number of you are going to be Father soon, Sean Roberts over there in Johannesburg, right? You can't say, oh, because I'm a man, I can't do nappies. We're servants. Say to the person next to you, we're servants. Sometimes we get too bogged down with our cultures. Oh, well, when I grew up, this is what a woman does. What verse in the Bible does does it say in the Bible? This is what a woman will do in the house. This is what the man will do in the house. Sometimes we become overly prescriptive about things the Bible is silent about. If you're a very good cook, we're having lunch with a couple in the family after this, and um, they have cooking competitions between husband and wife, you know? Amen? That's the servant test. Number six. Believers must learn how to interpret the word of God for themselves. Believers must learn how to interpret the word of God for themselves. Remember I spoke to you about demagogues. Those people who take advantage of other people's ignorance. And they come across like they're going to rescue you and save you. But they've got an ulterior motive. And one of the reasons we have demagogues in the political world is because of our ignorance. Amen? It's because of our ignorance. And for a long time in the church, there were all sorts of laws. Do you remember in the Roman Catholic Church back in the day, way back in many centuries ago, people couldn't read the Bible. People weren't allowed to read the Bible. They were kept illiterate. And it was just the monks who could read, just the priests who could read, right? Women couldn't read in those days. And so people would come with all sorts of doctrine, all sorts of ideas and so on. And people would just say, yeah, mm-hmm, yes, and just suck it in. That's what our ignorance does. And it's the same thing happening today with some of these false prophets, false apostles, false teachers. They prey on your biblical illiteracy. I'm not talking about your biblical illiteracy because your knowledge, obviously, here in Go Church, you've got perfect knowledge, right? You've got no (laughs) gaps, right? I'm talking about those other people over there who aren't clued up, (laughs) right? They prey on our biblical illiteracy, our, our inability to interpret the word of God for ourselves. So, doctrine should never be built on isolated scriptures, If you look at a lot of the cults that have started, they've started because someone took one scripture to the extreme out of context. There's always a scripture. That's the basis of that particular sect or cult. Now my question to you is, if a preacher preaches a message and it's out of context, are you able to spot that? And my second question to you is, do you really care? Because there's some people who say, yeah, I know it was a bit extreme and so on, but it's fine. He's so anointed and God blessed me. Jesus wants us to care about these things. The Bible speaks of the Bereans and basically says that they were, no- they were noble. Describes them as being noble because they basically studied the word eagerly to see if what the apostles was saying, were saying was true. You must study the word of God for yourself. You can't just say, oh, because Pastor Paul preached it and he's a nice guy. So, yeah. Amen? So, when we build doctrine, and Pastor, Pastor Vim mentioned this in her message last Sunday. At, um, I was listening to it at um, the Joburg Church. But this is what I always say to people. When you want to establish doctrine, ask yourself, number one, did Jesus teach it? Is it something you see Jesus teaching? Because if Jesus didn't teach it, why are we building around it? Number two, is it practiced in the book of Acts? Do you see them actually doing it in the early church? So why are we starting to do it now if the early church didn't didn't do it? Have we got some special revelation that they don't have? They didn't have. And the third one is, do we see it explained in the epistles? Those are three basic guidelines in terms of establishing doctrine. And you know what this safeguards you from? You don't just look and see, oh, there's that thing which I saw in the book of James that they did. And it's a once-off. And now that's standard practice for you. So let's talk about the anointing with oil. So sometimes I'll pray for people, right? And sometimes I might use oil from time to time. Or I might go and pray for someone's new place. Okay, so uh, I'll be going this week to pray for Lansden and Tendaya's place. Okay, their new place. Oh, sorry, was that proper? Can I say? Anyway, new place, right? And I'll pitch up there, and I'll probably take some anointing oil, and it's symbolic. The power isn't in the oil, it's just symbolic. Amen? The only time it's mentioned in the New Testament is in the book of James. When they say, if any of you are sick, go to the elders, and the prayer of faith will heal them. Right, and they will anoint them with oil only once. But now we have some churches where that's standard practice. When it comes to healing the sick, what is standard practice? What did Jesus say? Believers shall lay hands on the sick. Amen. Do we see it practiced in the book of Acts? Yes, we do. Do we see it explained in the epistles? Well, what's interesting is in the letter to Hebrews, it talks about foundational doctrine. And one of the foundation doctrines is the doctrine of the laying on of hands. Amen? That's how you build in Scripture. That's how you build doctrine. So when you have people where they say standard practice is, you know, here's this special soap that's been prayed for and everyone in the church must use it. Wash yourself with this soap and you will be healed. They've built a doctrine around something that's actually outside of scripture. Is there anything wrong with saying to someone, I've prayed for this soap, uh, uh, go and wash with it and you'll be healed? Nothing wrong with that. It's not unbiblical. If the Spirit leads you to do that, maybe it's a point of contact for faith. But if now that becomes standard practice, then there are problems. And so we've got a lot of people making lots of money saying, if you buy this oil from this particular pastor for X amount of cash, you've heard of that, Right? If you buy this piece of cloth for X amount of cash, where is that coming from? Jesus says, freely you've been given, freely give. Amen? So a lot of people see these things, but because of illiteracy, when it comes to the Word of God, they just buy into it. Literally buy into it. Excuse the pun. All right? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You know what's happening here? You know what's happening here? What's happening is we see this in a lot of sects. They'll emphasize one particular truth and they'll neglect everything else. Have you noticed that? So you have some people where the moment you start talking to them, it's like, but you guys eat pork. But why do you eat pork? And that's their main thing. And the guy might be cheating on his wife. The guy might be doing dodgy things in other areas, might not believe in the baptism of the Spirit, but he's hung up. On that issue of you guys eat foods that we don't eat. But the Bible says this and the Bible says that. Built on the Old Testament. Are you following this morning? So you have people who will focus on one particular thing. You have other people where they'll be like, are you pre-millennial or are you post-millennial? What's your belief about the end times? When do you believe Jesus is coming back? And that's all they'll preach and talk about. Have you noticed that? And they cause a lot of division. They cause a lot of division because they're so consumed with that one particular thing. And so it's important that we interpret the word of God for ourselves, but it's also important that we take into consideration the whole counsel of Scripture. Everyone following, the whole counsel of Scripture. What does the whole Bible say about certain things? And that's why you'll notice with a lot of false ministries, they'll focus maybe on something like the anointing. The anointing. But never talk about character. Prosperity. And they'll talk about it almost like if you're not rich, then you must be in sin of some sort and you're not in faith. Okay? But we'll never talk about how to parent your kids. Amen? There's a problem there, ladies and gentlemen. We have to give people a balanced diet. My wife was talking about balanced diets earlier on. We have to give people a balanced diet. You can't have people coming to church, and all they're hearing about is just one particular thing. You're not giving them a balanced diet. It's fine if that's your speciality. There's certain ministers of the gospel where that's their speciality. so whenever they go to conferences, they speak on that topic, so they're known for that. They write books on that topic. But at home, when they're preaching in their local church, they better make sure they're giving people a balanced diet. When we preach messages here, I don't just preach what I like. I don't just preach what I think you will like. Because my kids don't always like Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, but it's good for them. Amen? Amen. Sometimes we do full-blown series, and it's not my favorite topic, but I know it's good for you. Amen? So let's watch out for some of these things. So we see that it is possible to major on certain truths whilst forgetting, the God, forgetting God's whole counsel when it comes to the Word of God, and we see this a lot in a lot of false ministries. In Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Are you correctly handling the word of truth when you teach it and also when you listen to it? There's the handling in terms of me right now, but there's also the handling when you're studying the word for yourself. So my question to you is, if a teacher is incorrectly handling the word, will you know? When you watch someone on TV, when you read a book, will you know? I want to quickly give you eight rules of Bible interpretation. This is not a lesson on hermeneutics, okay, the laws of interpreting the Bible. This is just a taster. Number one, the rule of definition. This is a guideline that you can use each time you listen to a message. The rule of definition. In other words, what does the word actually mean? I want to encourage you, study the word in the original language. Because very often people preach and they're misusing a word. You've seen that sometimes, right? And they're building a whole case, but they actually haven't defined the word properly. Number two, the rule of usage. You know, very often you have cultural idioms in the Bible, right? They're Jewish ones. They're Greek ones, all right? So how is that word being used? Am I okay here? I'm getting a bit of feedback. That's the rule of usage. Number three, the rule of context. When we, when we were at Bible school, one of the rules we were given was in context, in context, in context. Everything that you read in the Bible, read it in context. Amen? Okay, don't proof test, Proof text. Proof texting is where you've got an idea, and then you basically go to the Bible to look and check if there's any verse you can use to back up your idea. And you know the danger of that is we tend to take a scripture out of context to support our view. Be very careful of that, For example, you'll find the Mormons. You all know the Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, right? They support polytheism, which is the belief in many gods. They basically divide up the Trinity, and they say there's God the Father, and that's one God. There's God the Son, that's one God. There's, you know, they've got that, that belief. So they believe that God the Father is actually limited in terms of time and space, and is like the perfect human being, and takes on the form of a human being, right? And is based on some planet up there. That's, the, that's their belief. But you know what is interesting? They've basically taken a particular scripture out of context. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. They've taken it out of context. And if you look at verse 6, it actually counters the whole concept of polytheism. Right? You don't have to go there now. Number four, the rule of historical background. What's the historical background? That's an important rule. Number five, the rule of logic, where you apply laws of language and grammatical analysis, right? Number six, the law of precedent. and that's what the Bereans were doing. They're wanting to study, is this in line with what we've seen other scriptures saying about this? There's also the law of unity, that's the seventh law, right? Is it consistent with the rest of scripture? We must let scripture interpret scripture, Amen. And because of this, let me just say something. Whenever you study a topic in the Bible, try to study all the verses on that particular topic. Does that make sense? So, for example, if I want to do a teaching on submission, I must actually look at that word in the Greek. I must look at that word in the Hebrew, right? I look at those two words. I look at the meaning of them. And then I must study all the scriptures that talk about submission, Let's say I'm doing a study on submission in marriage. That'll be very powerful. Because you see, the tendency is to just say, yeah, where does the Bible talk about how wives should submit to their husbands? Yes, there's this scripture. And you'll only emphasize wives submitting to their husbands. And you'll miss out the scripture that says, submit therefore one to another. Amen? And when you're studying honor in marriage, you'll only just focus on the scriptures that say, hey, wives, honor your husbands. And you'll miss out the scripture that says, husbands, honor your wives as the weaker vessel. And then you won't misinterpret that word weaker because of the first thing, the rule of definition. Because that word weaker is basically fragile, handled with care. It doesn't mean they're weaker as a person. Amen? So now you have a false minister getting up and saying, women are weaker than men. The Bible says it. And then everyone says, amen, pastor, Amen? Are you following me this morning? All right? So it's important to be able to look at these things and unpack them. So that's the law of unity. Okay? Allow scripture to interpret scripture. Consider all the passages on the topic. And then the eighth one is the law of inference. The law of inference. This is interesting and it's actually quite logical. Um, This is when a fact is reasonably implied from another fact. And we see Jesus using this approach. Remember when you were speaking to the Sadducees, the Sadducees in Matthew, and they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And just go and study that because he actually argues his case, okay, using this particular law of inference. Is that useful? Can you use these eight as general guidelines? Okay, Um, this is important, guys. Otherwise, people, you see them having big debates about lots of issues. If they just applied these laws Sometimes there wouldn't be that many debates. Okay. There's a U.S. uh, columnist, a guy called Charlie Reese. He said something quite interesting. He said, reason and truth have rarely prevailed against demagoguery when the audience is too ignorant to tell the difference. Can I read it again? Reason and truth have rarely prevailed against demagoguery When the audience is too ignorant to tell the difference. The seventh key, the seventh thing we need to know concerning false ministries is that false ministers can come from solid Bible-based churches. False ministers can come from solid Bible-based churches. That's why some people will say, I know, but I thought he was okay because he went to that Bible school. I thought he was okay because he went to that big church we all know. People can start off there, but not remain there, right? In Acts chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Even from your own number. See, we always think that these people come from some cave, some mountain way out there. It says, Even from your own number, men will arise, and what will they do? They will distort. It says, And distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. It doesn't say they'll come up with something that is completely false. It says they will distort the truth. This is so crucial. And that's why you'll find with a lot of false ministries, there'll be an element of truth in what they talk about. But it's distorted. Let me give you an example. So you'll hear people saying, man is a spirit. Now we know the Bible does say that, doesn't it? You're spirit. If you, you can actually unpack it. If you look at Paul's epistles to the Thessalonians, right, you can actually unpack it and you can see that we are spirit. That's that part of you that is God conscious. It connects with God. It's that part of you, your, your intuition is there. Um, there are all sorts of wonderful things there. So man is spirit. What about your body? Is that a part of you? Now we know technically speaking we are spirit. We're also soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, your intellect, and your imagination. But we also have a body. And a lot of people like to dissociate themselves from their bodies. But once your body goes, you you don't just chill around here on earth, right? You, all right. So man is spirit, soul, and body. Are you following? We're tripartite being. Now you'll hear this subtle thing coming through where they'll say, Man is spirit. You only live in your body. But that's not really you. Now can you see where it's going? Now I get that. I get that. Now some people will take it further. So now you'll hear them saying, yeah, but when I was fornicating, that was my body. That was my flesh doing it. Not really me. Now we laugh. But it it, it happened. There's a particular ministry in this country where some of the youngsters in that ministry, that's what they started saying. Because that ministry was emphasizing this so strongly. People were fornicating, people were doing all sorts of things. But there was almost this thing of like, yeah, but what my body does, that's not really me. So I mustn't let it affect me. Now, they clearly haven't gone through certain scriptures that talk about how he who lies with a prostitute becomes one with her. How does that, how, how do you... How do you unpack that one? Amen? They're clearly ignoring the scripture where Paul the Apostle says that your body is the temple of the, of the Holy Spirit. So you can try and dissociate yourself from your body, but it's still the temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, and one of the major descriptions about the Holy Spirit is that He's holy. That's why we call Him the Holy Spirit. Amen? So what you do with your body is important. So these guys distort the truth, and when they do so, they draw away disciples after them. So be very careful, because very often these truths are subtle. And it's a bit like a ship going off course. What happens with a ship when it goes off course by just, you know, like maybe five degrees? It's not a big deal when it first happens, is it? It seems like it's just a slight deviation. But by the time that ship that has started out in Cape Town gets to Canada, what's happened? Its goal might have been to get to um, Brazil, and now it's in Iceland. Amen? Why? Deviated. Distortion of truth. And you know what? This is the habit our modern-day society has. A lot of white lies A lot of deception. We're often speaking to our kids about that. No, but when you said this, I know you're arguing that it was the truth, but you were actually intending to deceive. Amen? Isn't that a lie? When you're intending to deceive. When you're saying something, and you know the way you're saying it, you want someone to be hearing it in a particular way. Now, here's the scary thing. If we do that, if we exaggerate, if we make up testimonies in church that aren't true, Guess what ends up happening? A demonic spirit that's a lying spirit can attach itself to you. That's why the Bible talks about doctrines of devils. Demonically inspired doctrine. And you see it, and sometimes it's in books, hey? You know some of those books that become bestsellers? It's not just because they're great books. It's because there's a a supernatural intelligence behind them, some of them. That's why you wonder, why these books on demons and some of these new age books, why do they just sell so much? Doctrines of demons, the Bible talks about that. And people are itching to hear these things. And it's a distortion of the truth. Because when you first look at it, people are like, but it's the same thing, Paul, it's the same thing. Sometimes I'll do a motivational session somewhere for some organization and people say, Paul, how does this tie in with the law of attraction and the secret? Have you read the secret? Because some of the things you're saying, Paul, it's just like the secret. I'm quick to say, mm not the same. Why? Because they look at these things and they think like, it's kind of like the truth. It's a distortion of the truth. Wherever you have truth, there's the counterfeit. And the counterfeit will seem like the truth. Amen? It's like when people buy bootlegs, fake things. You know what I'm talking about, right? We've all been there. I remember a time as a teenager going to a flea market in Zim, and it was the days when we would get those, you know, those, those shoes that would go up to our ankles. You know those ones, right? And I saw this nice pair I liked, Nike Airs, or so I thought. And I see them, this nice black pair. Hadn't seen other people wearing them. Then I get home and I look at the tongue on the written on the tongue of one of them, it said nkai (laughs) eh. On just one of them. The other one still said Nike. The other one said nkai. Okay. A distortion. Or have you seen some of these new cool drinks they have? I went somewhere, one of my kids wanted a bunny chow and went there and he says, I like this shop because they've got all the fancy drinks. And he gets a particular one and then he starts tasting it and he's like, and he couldn't finish it. He couldn't finish it because of how it tasted. But when you look at the label on it and so on, it looked so similar to some of the popular drinks we have. Fake stuff. Amen? Amen. So these people can come from solid biblical churches, Bible-based churches. You know, many people like to, like to emphasize spiritual genealogy. You hear people talking about that, right? They say, no, no, no. If you're a true minister of the gospel, tell us your spiritual genealogy. Then you have a lot of these guys who want to make sure, like, they, they've got a photo taken with that great apostle who we all like and respect, you know? Be very careful. Just because someone says, so-and-so is my spiritual father, doesn't mean it's true. There are a lot of people who like you, and so they like name dropping, right? How many of you have had people saying that you're their best friend, but you don't feel it's the same from your side? Just raise your hand. You've had people say, she's my best friend, right? Because you're cool, they're riding on your brand. I've had someone come to me and say, oh, uh, I met so-and-so. They said that you're, you're their pastor. When I said I know you, they said you're their pastor. And I was like... And afterwards, there was a guy who had heard me speak at, um, at a different church, but he was saying, I'm his pastor. You get what I'm saying? Just because people say you're their spiritual father doesn't mean you are. And also, you might have someone who was once your spiritual father, but you actually no longer follow their ways. Amen? And let me just say something. Just because so-and-so is your spiritual father and he's someone we respect doesn't validate your ministry. You can have sons that are vagabonds. You know a vagabond. You can have sons that are rebellious, that don't carry the culture of the family. So that's something that's happening. And also, let me just say something else. And I just want to touch on it now. You have certain people who haven't got this wonderful spiritual genealogy, but God is still using them in a great way. And some people say, no, but you have to tell me who was your spiritual father, and then your spiritual grandfather, and then who? Well, let's just do this. Who's one of the greatest prophets in the Bible? Do we all agree that Elijah is one of the greatest prophets? Go and do as much research as you want to do, and tell me about his history. When you look at Elijah, when you just read about Elijah, it's as if he's appearing out of nowhere. Literally, just comes on the scene. We know that he had a dad called Sonak, I think it was. But we don't know much else about his history. Are we now going to say, so Elijah is a fake? So let's also be careful about that. Can you see, the, can you see where the balance is? Everyone is trying to validate their ministries by saying, so-and-so is, and so-and-so and so-and-so is my spiritual father. That's not the only way of validating your ministry. Amen. Number eight, false ministries have distinct fruit by which we can recognize them. The Bible is very clear. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 to 17. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. So they're described as wolves, ravenous wolves. So you can have someone who looks nice. They dress nicely. They speak gently. They feel your pain. They're very high on empathy, but underneath it all, they're ravenous wolves. I wish we could see people in the realm of the Spirit. I wish the Lord would open our eyes that we could actually see people's motives sometimes in the realm of the Spirit, and you'll be shocked. A lot of people who seem all great, they're doing all this philanthropy, and people are thanking them, saying, oh, wow, thank you. But it must be a genuine ministry because, look, they're giving away to the poor. That's one of the ways people are trying to endorse their ministries, by the way. No, but they give so much. Do you know that there are criminals, tycoons today, that give away a lot? There are stories we hear of, of major criminals going into churches and tithing. Actually tithing, but the money is stolen. There have been, they've been cases like that, eh? Hey? Where the legal people now come, the, the cops, the feds, whatever you want to call them, come, and they start saying, this church must give its money, that money back because these guys were criminals, and then the pastor doesn't want to give it back. These are real-life cases we're talking about. And let me just say, those of you who will become pastors or are currently pastors, when you establish churches, right, don't treat people differently because of the money they have and the money they give. And that's going to be a test for you because there's some people where the source of where it's coming from, that'll be a test for you. I'm just going to leave it there. It'll be a test for you. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Verse 16, by their fruit... You will recognize them. So does Jesus want us to recognize false ministries? Yes, he does. He wants us to recognize them. And he says, by their fruit. Elsewhere in scripture it says, wisdom is judged by her fruit. If you want to know whether something is wise or not, look at the fruit. Look at what comes from it. All right? What is the fruit? What is the fruit of this ministry? Let's also assess, are, peop- are we making disciples? Are people growing closer to Jesus? What is the fruit of some ministries? They might attract massive crowds, but let's look at the fruit. What is being produced? Is it people who are growing in their knowledge of Christ or is it people who are becoming more dependent on their demagogue? Are you following this morning? All right. We need to examine these things very carefully and speak about them very directly. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. I like what um, a particular journalist from back in the day said, a guy called H.L. Mencken, said, the demagogue is one who preaches doctrines he knows to be untrue to men he knows to be idiots. The demagogue is one who preaches doctrines he knows to be untrue to men he knows to be idiots. Guys, let's be clued up concerning the word. Amen? Let's be clued up. And what they sometimes do to make you dependent on them, they stop you listening from other, listening to other people. Have you noticed that? It's like you can only buy their books. You can only go to their conferences and listen to their material. Then they'll feed you and feed you and feed you with that. And if you go to another conference or another seminar or quote someone else, it's frowned upon. Be very, very careful about that. Be very careful about that. In this church, I will recommend people. I'll quote people and I'll say, hey, read this book. These guys are far ahead of us in this area. Go and study this. This will be good material for you. Amen? Number nine, false ministers tend to honor covenants with men more than the covenant with Christ. Can I go there? False ministers tend to honor covenants with men more than the covenant with Christ. In the late 60s, early 70s, there was what was called the heavy shepherding movement, where there was a strong teaching around covenant that has elements— that are scriptural, but unfortunately it went extreme. And we called it heavy heavy shepherding. It was called heavy shepherding because now you had this pastor telling you who to get married to, what kind of car to drive, where to send your kids to school. How many of you know that that's beyond their jurisdiction? I can say to you, these are the qualities of a good wife, a good husband. If you're a believer, you must choose someone who's also a believer. I can do that according to the word of God. But I can't control your decision with regards to who you choose to get married to. Because you end up getting married to someone, and then when you have problems, you now blame me. But, the, but pastor, you said she would be good for me. Amen? Amen? They honor covenants with men more than the covenant with Christ. And so what happens is, you see this. When you decide to leave that ministry and now you're being told you're cursed. And now you're being told all the anointing that you have, it was because of that man of God or that woman of God. Where's Christ? The anointed one. That's what the word Christ means, the anointed one and his anointing. Where's he in the picture? So now there's this thing, if someone is greatly used by God, people are like, what's your secret? Where did you go? Now, that's what happens in the occult, because people get initiated to be sangomas and so on that way. There's always someone else in the mix. But I'm here to say to you right now, there's a place for impartation. There's a place for activation. But not everything that is in you is because someone else put it there. There's some things that are in you, like Jeremiah, while you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. Amen? Amen. Not everything is because, oh, I got this from this man of God and that woman of God. So now what you have is people are like, so what is the secret? Then you have people building up large sums of money. And then they go to that great man of God. And then they say, I'm sowing into this anointing. And now this is what I have. And sadly, they then teach that as the pattern. I'm not saying if God leads you to sow into a man of God's life, you mustn't do it. You must do it. We see that the Bible talks about giving double honor and so on. There's a place for it. I'm going to do a whole series on honor because we need a culture of honor. But when it's taught as doctrine, now that this is the key for me to be anointed. I did this and I made this sacrifice to this man of God. And now look, I'm so anointed. That's what I did. Nothing is mentioned about your character. Nothing is mentioned about tests that you've had to go through in in the school of ministry, the school of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is mentioned about that. So now you have people who don't have character. Now just think, okay, how much money do I need? And trying to buy the anointing. Look what Peter said to Simon the sorcerer when Simon the sorcerer offered him money so that he also has those abilities that, um, that Peter had. Peter rebuked him. I'm going to show you that one day. I'm going to show you that when we continue with this series. He was rebuked for that. Come buy the anointing. How dare we do that? How much does it cost? Let me tell you something. There's a cost when it comes to being anointed, but very often it's a different type of cost. There's a cost in prayer. There's a cost in personal sacrifice, just saying, Lord, I'm laying down all my dreams and so on. There's a cost. And that's why scripture says, let me show you what you can buy without money. So there are things we purchase in the spirit, but not, it's, not, it's not about money. Are you following me? So you see this when you try to leave their ministry. You treat it differently, and sometimes you're threatened. You know, you are treated like someone who's fallen from grace. How I many of you have been in ministries like that, where you've moved on from those ministries and they, teach you, they treat you like you've fallen from grace? And then you look at yourself and you're thinking, but I feel more anointed now that I've moved on. My marriage is in a better place now that I've moved on. My connection with my kids is even better. Amen. But people said that. And do you know why some people never stay in the same place? Why some people actually do go backwards? It's because they internalize those words. Be very careful. Those are what we call word curses. It's where someone speaks something into your life that doesn't really have power over you unless you give it that power. So now you're thinking, they said this. They said my business will fail. And oh, that guy's resisting that sale. Oh, oh, my boss doesn't like my presentation. Hey, I think they were right. And now you've got faith for it. And then it happens. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Instead of actually saying, I reject those words. They've got no power over me. My anointing is in Christ Jesus. We see this happening a lot. You know what the scary thing is? When a lot of people leave Satanism, the same thing happens. Be very careful of that spirit. And that's why I say to people, when you're leading people, always oh, do this. Hold them like this. And that's why when people leave this church, often we'll say, we'll give them advice. We'll even suggest certain churches that we think will work for them. But we hold them like this. And that's why it's good when someone is leaving a church, when you're a pastor, to say, but you're welcome back if ever you want to come back. And we've had a number of people come back. Amen? You do that. You don't own people if you're a leader. You're a steward, and you see it as a principle. So the mindset is, sure, thank you, Lord, that in this season, we have John and Cindy in our lives serving faithfully. We thank you for the privilege of overseeing them. May we do it faithfully as pastors, that while they're here, we help them go to their next level. And if ever they move on, we release them, knowing that they never belonged to us, they belonged to the Lord. Amen. I've got people who've left some some false ministries. And they've been having dreams. Saying, I had this dream. This person, he appeared to me in the dream saying, we were the ones who healed you. Who's getting the glory now? We were the ones who healed you. Now you're leaving us. If you're a leader, don't become a demagogue. People don't owe you anything. Point them to Christ. Are there people I've discipled? Yes. Yes. Are there people who've grown spiritually because of what I've taught them? Yes. But where did it all come from? Amen? You hear people saying, yeah, but I did this for them and I counseled them. Those hours, I counseled them so many hours in their marriage. Their marriage was healed. Now they've left the church. So why were you doing it? What is your motive? Were you sowing into their lives so that they stay in your church or in your small group? Or were you doing it because God has called you to do it and you're interested in that person, that they go to their next level? If any of you leave the church and move on from here, I'll be glad that wherever you then go, I'm hoping you'll be effective there. And I'm hoping that we've been a step for you. Amen? Amen? That step for you to go to your next level. This is very, very important. Often you find these demagogues end up acting as mediators between God and man. Have you noticed that? The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. So why are you now trying to act as a mediator? Like we have to go through you to get to God. Where does that come from? And this is where you have people starting to say, say, "I'm, I'm your Moses. Have you heard that one before? I'm your Moses. You can't be someone's, Mo- Moses was in the Old Testament when the guys didn't have the Holy Spirit for themselves to hear from God. So Moses had to go to the mountain from them. No- don't, don't bring Moses into the New Testament now. Amen? I'm Elijah, come back. You know what happens? Here's, here's the deceit. A number of guys started well. I can name them. They started off well. And what happens is when you're strong in spiritual things and you start getting visions, remember what Paul said? He says, I got this to buffet me, lest I become puffed up. Remember the thorn in the flesh? Satan's messenger to buffet me, lest I become puffed up because of my many visions and revelation. Sadly, a lot of false prophets started off as true prophets, but they got puffed up because of their visions. And they started thinking, if I'm having these experiences in heaven and this is all happening, and then now my emotionally out-of-balance followers are telling me I'm Elijah, come back. Maybe I must be. Maybe I must be. Right? There are ministers where that happened. If you look in the 50s, 60s with the healing evangelists, there's some of them who went off the rails and it didn't start with them started sometimes with the followers saying, uh-uh, this is who you, are Elijah, come back. Maybe I am. There's one guy, he would have a halo over him. You can even see the video. I don't want to mention names right now because I don't want to distract us by mentioning names. Had a, you even see the video where he's got this shining light over him. Don't know if it was from the Lord or if it was from somewhere else, but he had that. <laughs> you see it. They, they didn't have film tricks in those days. This is the 50s, 60s. They couldn't just put things like that there. Right? Powerfully used by God, but then started going into false false doctrine. And him in particular, he wasn't schooled in the word, like the Bible interpretation that we're talking about. He wasn't educated biblically that way. Amen. Don't get puffed up just because you have visions. Sometimes the reason people have visions is because God has been trying to nudge them with a still small voice, but they haven't been listening. So he needs to have an angel-like pitch up because, you know, you don't listen when he just shares with you simple simple stuff. So how grand your visions are isn't always a measure of your spirituality. Are you hearing me this morning? Let's not get proud because of those things. So I find it so sad when people honor covenants with men more than the covenant with Christ. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13, <clears throat> Paul says, What I mean is this. Individuals among you are saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, that's Peter, or I follow Christ. You hear that, right? We almost treat these men of God like they're these, you know, they're these celebrity heroes. You know, they're celebrity Christianity. Oh, my favorite, my favorite preacher is this one. Oh, no, no, mine is this one. And we talk about them. The same debates that unsaved soccer players have. You know? When I show them a picture of, like when I teach on personal branding, I show a picture of Lionel Messi. And I say, what comes to mind when you see this picture? And then all the Cristiano Ronaldo fans will say things like, second best player in the world. You know? You hear them saying that. And we're now doing it about men and women of God. No, I'm into this one. I'm, I'm a T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes is my man. no, 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 no. I'm a... Now, what does Paul say? He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? You weren't. You weren't. I'm gonna leave it there. Have you got some fodder to take home? Just some fodder, just to take us to our next level. This is gonna be about a four part, four or five part series, okay? We'll just go deep each time, deep each time, a few points each time. Amen? Let's go and let's teach people, pass on this message, share it with other people around you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what? I want to be one of those people who goes out, who teaches people the word. I want to go deeper into the word. I want to study the word. You heard me saying today that you must study the word in the original language. And for some of you might have thought, like, that's just for pastors. But for some of you that spoke to you, you're like, I do. I want to get a concordance. I want to go deep into this stuff. I want to know it for myself. I don't want to be the person who's just jumping up and down in a church saying, hallelujah, praise God. But I don't even understand what, what they're talking about. If that's you and you're saying, I want to be a true minister of the gospel, not a false one, at whatever level, raise your hands to heaven. I just want to, I just believe we need to activate the grace for this. See, sometimes people hear messages like this, and then they become arrogant, and they become proud. Now, I will explain to my whole community about all these. No, we need humility, amen? But you're saying, I want this, I want this, I want this. Look at these precious kids. They're raising their hands. That's wonderful. And that's your portion. Pray with me, please. Father God, I acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is my teacher. I make a decision today to study and to show myself to be a workman who is approved by you, Lord, who does not need to be ashamed. I want to be a true minister of your gospel. I embrace this, Lord. I choose to study your word in depth, no longer superficial. In Jesus' name, take me to my next level. Amen. Come on, if you've received from Jesus today, just clap for it. Hey, E-family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za and I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.